All kinds of people, believers and unbelievers, claim to respect and even follow the teachings of Jesus. But when asked exactly what he taught, many can only think of one thing, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. That's our text this morning, one verse. It seems quite simple, simple enough for a child to understand. But in reality, I found this to be a challenging text to know how to preach. Let me read it. Matthew 7, 12. So in everything you do, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I have two points to make this morning. And the one is the point of the text to just paraphrase directly from this verse. The second is from other texts, which help us to understand the whole of Jesus' teaching here. So the first point, and I've said it as easy as I can for the sake of kids writing it down, treat others like you want to be treated. That's the golden rule, however you exactly say it. Treat others like you want to be treated. I've learned of moving around in the world over the years that there are many uh, irreverent perversions of the golden rule. Revised golden rules, which help to explain how things really work in the world. My fighter pilot friend years ago put me on to many such things. For example, do to others before they can do it to you. Or do unto others as they have done to you. Or do unto others only as much as they deserve and not one penny more. Or do unto others what will obligate them to do what you want them to do for you. Now Jesus' instruction is straightforward and simple. Whatever you want others to do for you, do to them or for them. Treat others like you want them to treat you. You may be interested to know this is, Jesus is not the first one to say this. As we look throughout history, this is a, a something that's been said by lots of people in lots of different times. Confucius said, do not to others what you would not wish done to yourself. Sounds really similar, doesn't it? The Stoic philosophers had an almost identical saying, what you do not wish to be done to you, do not do to anyone else. In Tobit, one of the books of the Old Testament Apocrypha, we read, do not do to anyone what you yourself would hate. Then Rabbi Hillel, who lived just before Jesus, he probably died five or six years after Jesus was born, said something very similar to him. What is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is only commentary. Those are just a few examples. Jewish rabbis, ancient philosophers, even Buddhist hymns, have very similar sayings to the golden rule. But there's one difference. All these other sayings seem to be negative. Do not do to someone what you do not want him to do to you. Only Jesus, it seems, has, teaches this as a positive rule. Actively do to others what you would have them do to you. But this is a significant difference. Jesus calls us 
to an ethical perspective that is outside of ourselves. Others are saying, look out for yourself. Don't start trouble for yourself. But Jesus is saying that ourselves are in focus only as a reference point to make us more sensitive to what is appropriate behavior toward others. The negative views ultimately center on ourselves. Jesus' rule centers outside ourselves. For the golden rule does not say, concentrate on what others should be doing for you. Folks, that leads to self-pity and bitterness and cynicism and defeat. Nor does it say, do to others in order to get them to do what you want them to do. That's self-serving. That's manipulative. That's condescending. You see, your needs are completely out of view here, except as a means of determining by your empathy what you should be doing for others. This is a truth we desperately need to hear. For we tend to judge everything in light of how it affects me. But Jesus turns this around when he says, treat others like you want to be treated. Then there's another way in which Jesus' teaching is different from the similar views elsewhere. When we are simply told not to do something, that's pretty easy. What do you have to do to not do something? Nothing. (laughs) Just sit there. And we love having no responsibility to even lift a finger concerning someone else's needs. But then out of that passivity comes our normal mode very quickly. That is a reactive mode. We are trying to do nothing. Mind our own business, do nothing. And somebody does something to us. And now what do we do? Well, we react. We'll show them. We'll give them back what they gave us, plus a little more, of course. So if people are kind to us, we'll be kind to them. But if people cross us, they will feel the sudden and destructive retribution. But Jesus calls us not to be passive, not to be reactive, but to initiate godly action. We're to stop reacting to their negative behavior and instead initiate actions which are loving and kind. In other words, this is a call to action. It's a call often heard in the scriptures. Let me read a couple of passages where we see it, Romans 12. There we read, never pay back evil for evil, but if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. We read the same thing in Philippians 2, similar instruction. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. God's people need to hear this truth. We are called not to be passive, not to be reactive. 
we're called to take the initiative to address the problems and the needs of those we see around us. Over the years, I find it very interesting that the people who are the happiest in the church are often the people who, frankly, have the most unmet personal needs. But they're so involved in ministry to others that their own needs seem to fall into insignificance. At the same time, some of the most miserable people I've ever known are people who had absolutely the most going for them, but were hung up waiting for somebody to come and address some petty little grievance that they had. And while they waited, they grew bitter and angry and resentful and hateful so that if, if someone ever did reach out to them, they would quickly be turned away. But Jesus calls us to stop this nonsense. Stop reacting. Stop feeling sorry for ourselves. Stop wallowing in self-pity and self-centeredness and take the initiative to treat others like you would want to be treated. Having said all that, I must tell you that the golden rule has some limitations and some complications. So let me give you a follow-up rule. This is golden rule 2.0. Our second point. Treat others like the Lord has treated you. Similar, but that's different. Treat others like the Lord has treated you. As I begin to preach on this text of the golden rule, it occurred to me, I have never heard an evangelical Bible-believing pastor preach on this text. I'm sure they do. I've never heard that. Perhaps, in, in, in fact, I went looking, because I love Tim Keller. I went looking through Tim Keller's, I have all, all of his sermons online. I went looking for his preaching on this text. He preaches on verse 11. He preaches on verse 13. He doesn't preach on verse 12. I go, Tim, buddy, you let me down. <laughs> Perhaps it's because the golden rule appears in some form in so many places throughout history that it's come to be regarded as kind of a natural law of relationships, one that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with God or his Christ. It's become the, 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 the banner of the liberals, a nice little principle of human life common to all uh, that doesn't imply anything about really about Christianity. And so wonderful as it is, the golden rule can be misused. I found a really interesting paragraph in the writing of the late New Testament professor Douglas Hare explains why this might happen, why the golden rule might be misused. It's a little, you have to think about it a little bit, so I may comment as I go. Here's what he says. It's distractors, the golden rule's distractors, claim that is anthropocentric, that means man-centered. It's distractors claim it's man-centered and based on naive egoism. The individual is allowed to direct his or her ethical behavior on the basis of a private world of feelings. I think what he's suggesting there, he wrote this before all this happened, that this whole world that's going on right now, people wanting their safe space where their feelings won't ever be hurt, is kind of a perversion of the golden rule. I don't want my feelings to be hurt. That's how I would like to be treated, so you must treat me that way. He goes on. 
The difficulty can be seen when specific applications are envisioned. For example, if we treat persons of another culture only as we would like to be treated, our behavior may be offensive. That's an interesting point, isn't it? In a cross-cultural world. If we only treat people how it would look good in our culture, it may be very offensive to them. It's not really how they would like to be treated. Finally, gets to another potential problem arises from a literalistic reading of this, uh, of, of this maxim, the, of the golden rule. For example, some might say, the golden rule means don't report illegal behavior if you don't want anyone to report your illegal behavior. Oh yeah, that kind of does fit, doesn't it? Or here's one that's even better. If you like to attend wild parties, you must throw some wild parties. <laughs> Dr. Hare concludes, as an ethical principle, the golden rule is remarkably susceptible to unethical appropriations. So for the golden rule to have anything to teach us about the faith, anything to teach us about the Lord, somehow it has to be tied to Christ. <laughs> In our text, Jesus ties the golden rule to the law. When he says, this sums up the law and the prophets, that is the Old Testament. In in another place, Jesus says that the law consists of two commandments, really. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is a summary of those great commands. Most notably, the second command, to love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13 says the same thing. He who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Or we could say it, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So what would that look like? To exercise the golden rule in real life. To love your neighbor as yourself. Well, for an example, I live out in a farmland, so to give you an example, say you have a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody you know, maybe somebody you like, maybe somebody you doesn't like you, I don't know. You have a neighbor, but your neighbor's cow is out on the road. What do you do? Well, if you want to be faithful to the Old Testament law, you go searching through the Old Testament law to find out what it says. And you learn that it never addresses cows on the road. If the cow was in the ditch, it would require you to do something, even if it's on the Sabbath. But it's only on the road. Where, of course, a truck could hit it, but that's not your problem, right? Well, Jesus says, no. Here God fills in the gaps. There are all these commandments, but here God fills in the gaps between the various commandments of the law. There may not be a chapter and verse about your neighbor's cow on the road, but if it were your cow on the road, wouldn't you want your neighbor to call you before a truck hit his cow? Then call your neighbor. Even though he's not speaking to you, call your neighbor. Then you are fulfilling the law, even across the gaps in the specific commandments. Treat others as you want them to treat you, 
this sums up the law. So why hasn't this worked in society? God's people have had his law for millennia. And we've had this summary statement for over 2,000 years. It has been translated into thousands of languages. It is simple enough that a first grader can understand it. And we all admit the need for reconciliation and justice and peace. In fact, in this country alone, we spend trillions of dollars on government officials and foreign ambassadors and, and, and local social agencies to achieve good relations between individuals and groups of people. So why hasn't it worked? Well, Chesterton says... Christianity hasn't failed, just nobody's actually tried it yet. But the golden rule also hasn't worked for the same reason the law hasn't worked. Because both are dependent upon our human efforts, all of which are driven by our sinful nature. That's why we read in Romans 8, the law is powerless Because it is weakened by our sinful nature. The problem is the problem with the self. We do not seem to have the power to subdue our self and our self-interests. All of our high-sounding systems cannot change it and make it obey this one simple principle which would bring peace to every relationship, to every family, to every community. You see, the golden rule not only summarizes the law, it has the same weakness as the law. It can condemn you, but it can't change you. So what hope do we have? Our hope is that God has shown mercy to us. He loved us. He sent his son to redeem us. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never have lived. He laid down his life on the cross, dying the death we deserve. Afterwards, he sent his spirit to join us to Jesus, forgiving our sin, giving us eternal life. By his undeserved grace, God saved us, made us new. And now, when we look at the New Testament, and we look beyond the Sermon on the Mount, for the Sermon on the Mount here is in the, the, the fifth chapter of the New Testament, It's in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We look beyond that and say, now what else does does the New Testament have to say about the golden rule? We don't find anything. For as biblical history moves on, God gave us a newer, better, perfect rule. As I said, golden rule 2.0. Treat others, not as you would like to be treated, but as the Lord has treated you. We find this spelled out in several places in Ephesians 4. We read, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We read the same thing in Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, and humility, and gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In short, Christ's new golden rule is treat one another as the Lord has treated you. You see, that's not a summary of the law. That's a summary of God's grace shown to us 
in Jesus. No matter how someone else has treated you, God has shown his love and mercy. So even if your enemies are, 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 are persecuting you, God is able to make that right on judgment day. Meanwhile, you extend grace to the undeserving just as God extended grace to you when you were undeserving. The golden rule is so simple a child can learn it. Treat others as you want them to treat you. It's a wonderful tool. But it has to be understood according to God's whole truth. Here Martin Lloyd-Jones is really a treasure. He walks us through this in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And I've, I've, I've condensed about three or four pages down to a few paragraphs. Let me, let me kind of take you on Martin Lloyd-Jones' trip through what this all means. He says, we start with God. That's where the first commandment starts. Love the Lord your God. When we see God in his power and majesty, we begin to get a better perspective on ourselves. When we see him in his holiness and purity, we see how really sinful and vile we are in comparison. Then when God allows us to see ourselves as he sees us, something happens in the way we see other people. They used to be the bad guys trying to take what is ours. But when we see ourselves from God's perspective, we begin to recognize that we are just like them. We're all the same, only the details differ. We're all victims of sin and perpetrators of sin. Beggars before holy God. Once we understand reality as God sees it, then the gospel begins to make sense. That's why God sent his son Jesus. Not just to be a good example, we had lots of examples. He sent him to do what we could not do. He sent him to pay the penalty for our sin and deliver us from this wretchedness that pollutes everything we do, even the most beautiful things, even the best things. When we see ourselves from God's perspective and we hear the good news of Christ's work on our behalf, We see that our only hope is to run to Jesus for mercy. And just like God promised when we do come to him, he does not give us what we deserve. He gives us forgiveness, makes us his own sons and daughters, lavishes on us the the inheritance of eternal life. He gives us exactly the opposite of all we deserve. He gives us good instead of evil. Now, Jesus says, I want you to go and do the same thing. Treat one another as God in his grace treated you. That's the fulfillment of the law. By the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we love to promote a picture of ourselves that makes us so much better than others because we have more wealth and we have more education and we live in a different society and whatever it might be. Give us the grace, Lord, and it is grace we need to see ourselves as you see us. 
In fact, we thank you for the times that you allow us to fall flat on our face so that we see that we're no better than anyone else. That apart from your mercy, we're lost and judgment hangs over our heads. But we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we pray that we would know it so well that wherever we look and see someone that's broken and hurting and vile and needy, that we would not think, boy, I'm a lot better than that person, but that we would say, oh, there but for the grace of God, go I. And Father, may we, like you've instructed us to do, show the same grace that we've been shown. Treat others the way you've treated us. Father, this runs against the grain of everything. We're so self-centered by nature. You need to change us from the inside out. Change the way we think. Change the way we see ourselves. Change the way we see other people. Change, Lord, our understanding of you and your greatness and your holiness and your majesty and your grace that we might imitate you, Lord. In the golden rule. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.